All right. So, so let you me go ahead. Uh, I wasn't recording yet, but I'm going to hit record now. And uh, if you could hop right back into that. Absolutely. Uh, Amendment two is on the ballot in Kentucky uh, this November. Amendment two is Kentucky's reaction to the, the row repeal or as close to row repeal as as we need to have for this Supreme Court and these Republican legislatures and governors. Anyway, Kentucky, like Kansas, has a constitutional right to abortion from back in the days when uh, evangelicals were pretty pro-abortion. Amendment 2 would repeal that. It also includes language in the amendment that would make judicial challenges when someone is arrested for having an abortion impossible, only a a guilty or innocent, no appealing to any higher courts about the constitutionality or anything like that. So it's got a built-in shield against legal challenges, which is disgusting and fascist. Huh, and we uh what well, we have that out here, what is it? Um is it prop three? Prop three, yeah. Yeah, prop three and uh out, out in the in the Midwest over here. And you kinda just you know who folks are by what the the, the uh the sign that they have on their lawn, whether their sign says yep. vote no or vote yes. And in the advertisements, it's like we always knew that the Republicans make the bills to be confusing, but the advertisements follow up and say, it's too confusing, just vote this way. And 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 it's and in this case, it's really gross because first, they want to take away people's rights, which is bad enough in the first place. Second, they want to bulletproof the law so that it can't its constitutionality can't be challenged in state courts and then we've got this supreme court who are nazis anyway who are probably going to uphold it if it gets to federal court which is just disgusting absolutely it's so funny because as you're talking about this i'm looking up articles right now and the first one i see has a quote from um the General Assembly Assembly's pro-life caucus saying that they have concerns about misinformation about this amendment, saying that it's not actually an abortion ban. No, it, the group says a vote yes on Amendment 2 does not stop or ban abortion in all cases, especially if it means protecting the life and health of a pregnant woman. I don't believe y'all at all. Mm-mm. You know, and, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a curmudgeon. Obviously, you want exceptions for life and health and all that, but exceptions for life and health all aren't enough. Even mainstream media is broadcasting news about the the lady who had to, to wait until she was literally in danger of dying in order to legally have an abortion in her state now. Exactly. There have been so many um, cases like that, and then even the... Um the one from a couple months ago about the child that had been sexually assaulted and had to get an abortion and had to go to another state. Because they were like, oh no, we would never make a child do that, yet here's a child having to cross state lines, you know. And it's it's this disgusting idea that, oh, exceptions are, are, are enough. The problem is, is that if you're waiting until someone's life is at risk, then someone's life is already at risk, and now you've still got a chance of them dying even with the abortion. 
definitely that. And it also really um, speaks to how much we don't address things like medical racism or classism and things like that. Because, um, you know, as we're, you know, sort of in this situation, we already have evidence that, like, for example, black women in particular are more likely to you know, die uh, while pregnant or die in childbirth or die from complications because of pregnancy. So now it's, you know, sort of this thing, uh, this generic, well, we care about the health and life of the mother situation, yet it's shown that doctors actually don't and doctors don't actually uh, respect their patients, you know, based on certain, um, you know, factors, right? They don't treat black patients with the same care and compassion. A lot of doctors will not treat you with the same level of care and compassion if you are a drug user, if you are in poverty or, you know, um, situations where someone maybe, you know, a woman maybe has multiple uh, multiple children with different men and like the doctor's making a moral judgment there. So it's always been bizarre to me to rely on this sort of like health and life of the mother thing when there is no um, set determination of that. It's up to mm. the doctor. It's basically the same as prosecute prosecutorial discretion. Yeah. It's up to the discretion of your doctor. Hope you have a good one, I guess. You know? I mean, when you when you when you get right down to it, the fact is is that is that childbirth is still so dangerous that on occasion even wealthy white women die in childbirth. Exactly. exactly. And when you approach it that way, then I really don't understand how any sort of exception for life and health is ever going to cut. It never is. It never is, but you know, the people for some reason just don't want to say that because I, I personally am fine saying I'm pro-abortion. I'm completely fine with it. Um, you know, and so it's not a big thing for me. But for some reason, there's this uh, people are scared to say that they're pro-abortion. It's always I'm pro-choice, especially in, you know, extreme cases for the life and health of the mother. Like, just be pro-abortion. It's less words. It's easier to say. So so the problem is. It's this stupid idea of white civility, which is always going to be a problem. The simple fact is other white people don't want to offend their evangelical Christian friends. That's disappointing. <laughs> I mean, that, it, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, this is why people like Rachel Maddow and Tucker Carlson can be friends. And I think what's weird to me is... um. Like, what are you doing this civility, like, routine for? Because if shit really gets, like, serious, they'll kill you, too. They're not yes. going to reciprocate your civility. I, like, do you understand? So, there's this denial. There's this sense of denial. I, I'm a history geek. I, I think about historical context all the time. I think about first time as tragedy, second time as farce a lot. Um... We're really in the same sort of buildup that the Weimar Republic was in towards Nazism. Yeah. You can see it. Mm -hmm. You can see it happening. You can feel it. You can you can look at the at the January sixth attack and say, you know, this is a beer hall putsch, or at the very least a cat putsch, and it's only going to get worse from here. Either way. I think it's definitely going to get worse from here, and I wish that more liberals understood that. <laughs> well, that's the problem. This is where the historical context comes in. So what you have to understand about Germany in the buildup 
to Nazism is that most of what they've told you about the brave liberals trying to stop the Nazis is a lie. Um, there was a very serious effort by communists to stop Nazis. And there was an anti-fascist effort by the Social Democrats that was that was seriously undermined by their committing to a double-pronged alliance against communism and fascism with conservative monarchs, conservative monarchists who ultimately sold them out to the damn fascists. Yes. Yes. And, and oh, what, sorry, what nobody talks about ever is the fact that after Hitler was finally declared chancellor, after what amounted to months of backroom dealing after the election, to try to prevent trade unions out of desperation from joint from from leaving the the social democrats and and voting with the communists and putting the communists possibly in the chancellorship or at least making it impossible for the 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 social democrats allies to to put someone in the chancellorship so there's there was this weird deal where the social democrats and Hindenburg, who was president, were trying to put the the general in chief of the army in the chancellorship so that he would be dictator instead of Hitler and the military would be able to stop the Nazis, right? The Catholic center, who were the main allies of the social democrats in this coalition with the conservative monarchs, conservative monarchists, changed their mind and decided they were really scared of the really Protestant, really Prussian German army running the government. And they felt safer as Catholics with the Nazis because Hitler was a Catholic. And they undermined the whole attempt to block Hitler and ended up saying, no, look, Hitler's the only chancellor we'll support. Otherwise, we're gone. And Hindenburg put Hitler in charge. And that was that. And it's just because the Catholics were more frightened of the Protestant military than they were of the Nazis because Hitler was a Catholic, so they felt safe and comfortable. What's that proverb about woods and axes? <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, no, it, it's wild that it seems like no matter how many times humanity has made it through these sort of situations that like as a species, we never really collectively learn and like retain that information. And it's very disappointing to me and very frustrating to me. I'm really curious now what's going to happen with um, the attack on Pelosi's house. To be like, are y'all going to maybe take this shit more seriously now? Probably not. Well, Probably. I, have a, I have a serious question about that, which is... Do you know what kind of a neighborhood Pacific Heights is? Uh, I would imagine it's very bougie, very gated, very white. It's it's also very secure and very safe. It's the kind of neighborhood which normally has really high-tech alarms and really rapid police responses. Okay. And, you know, I, I hate to be... I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but... We all know cops are Nazis, right? Right. 
And we all know that this is supposed to be a really safe neighborhood. So how the heck did the guy with the hammer get in the house and have enough time to hit him with the hammer? So <laughs> I, I, I am um, feeling like one of two ways about that. Um, I feel that it's definitely probable that police uh, took their time responding because they hate Pelosi. Because I have seen that, like, you know, every time, like, Unicorn Riot and whatnot has, like, those leaked chats from, like, cop Facebook groups. They flat out say that shit. Like, they can't wait to kill Democrats. And, um, like, when the Democrats pass the anti-lynching bill, they're like, this is so we can't kill them. You know, goofy shit like that. So I could definitely see that from a cop perspective. Um, But also, like... Who was going to suspect this guy on that white civility ship that we were just talking about? You know, like, you if you're in this neighborhood, surely you belong here. You can't possibly be violent. You can't possibly yeah. be a bad person. You don't look suspicious. You don't fit the profile, you know, no, and I probably mean, just he, let him fucking walk around. Is, I mean, speaking as a speaking as a white guy with a certain scummy aesthetic, so to speak. <laughs> uh-huh. I will say that in Pacific Heights, there actually is a certain tendency, and neighborhoods like Pacific Heights, there is a certain tendency to look for white people who don't belong to. Mm -hmm. The question is, and they showed a picture that is not the most flattering picture of this man uh, ever ever taken, as they always do when it comes to releasing pictures of of accused criminals. Mm -hmm. But... The question then becomes is how much like that picture did he look when he was in the neighborhood or was he someone who actually belonged in that neighborhood? Right. Yeah. um, I I think that's a very interesting question because I would like to see because, of course, you know, we're seeing him like post arrest and all that. Yeah, I would like to see footage of what he looked like when he got to the neighborhood. (laughs) You know, how was he blending? I don't know. Because... I heard a rumor, and I will say that this is, you know, totally rumors on Twitter with no support whatsoever. So we're just spitballing conspiracy conspiracy theories, basically, again. But somebody else was saying, well, Paul's on a probation and, and was drinking with this guy. And they got into a drunken fight and Paul was embarrassed. So he's covering it up like this. And the guy's going along with it because probably someone will take care of him and he'll get less charges mm-hmm. I could also see that and I don't know about that either but it's I can see that happening I I know that, that Paul Pelosi is you know Wall Street capital aggregator guy just mm-hmm. because he lives on the west coast doesn't make him any less Wall Street right I'm sure he has white supremacist Trump buddies Mm-hmm. definitely yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I think it's hard and it also like really sort of speaks to where we are right now as a nation that like so many different conspiracies actually seem plausible. Yeah. Like that's exactly. kind of scary in and of itself, right? It is. Yeah, I'm actually I, looking for pictures of this dude online right now and all I'm seeing is like that one shot. That <laughs> one shot that was like it's deliberately chosen to make the guy look as scary and disreputable as possible. Mm hmm. Um, which is, you know, what they do when they want you to look at the picture and say, oh, yeah, I believe that guy's a Nazi. Right. And then, but, also, yeah, and also, like, I'm just looking at an article about him right now. They really are trying to make him sound um, 
uniquely scary, I guess, as like on that like lone wolf type thing and not just like he's a random run of the mill like right winger white white man who's angry about stuff, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, because they say what? He was known for embracing multiple conspiracy theories on subjects such as voter fraud, climate change, the COVID pandemic. He posted anti-Semitic screeds and defended Donald Trump and Kanye West. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hey, I mean, hey, at least he stood up for Kanye West. There's there's, there's <laughs> that one willingness to, to, to stand up for the black guy who agrees with you. I guess that's progress. Yeah, and then also uh, they note that he's a supporter of QAnon, um, suggesting that Jeffrey Epstein, um, in the whole theory that the state is run by, you know, child sex traffickers and satanic pedophiles. But even that is... Um, I hate the way that people talk about QAnon in the media because there's like this assumption that they're all going to be like a Marjorie Taylor Greene. But there yep. are people who believe that who are uh, well, much more put together and like hit respect respectability politics better. This is actually a place where there's good nuance to have because on the one hand, QAnon is a fake conspiracy that's completely blown out of proportion. Mm -hmm. On the other hand... On the other hand, there really is a Jeff Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy that moves into the deepest levels of the ruling class of multiple Western countries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you look at the Jeffrey Epstein stuff and you say, QAnon is not co with completely without basis in fact. They take something real and they pin it on just their political enemy. Yep. And keep getting wilder and wilder with the stories. Because I think QAnon um, would make way more sense if they hadn't gone to this whole, like... And then they're kidnapping children to torture them and drink their blood. Like, no, nah, if you would have said they're kidnapping children to rape them, yeah, I, I believe you. Because you that shit happens to, all the time. You have to have the kidnapping children to drink their blood part, though. Because that is the signal to the right people what kind of movement this is. Yes. Because that's the blood libel. Yeah. It's just wild how people get sucked into these things. It's very bizarre to me. Very bizarre. I don't understand it. I do not. <laughs> so, it, I understand it. I, I understand it because so much seems plausible if you don't make a constructive and critical study of the reality you live in. I mean, we literally live in a world where your reality can be completely shaped by your media experience if you allow it to be. Yes. Um, there are people whose entire universe is shaped by Fox News and the New York Post. Or worse, uh, One American News Network and The Federalist. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, what I'm seeing is uh, it's... It's even iller, right? Like so you were, you, you two were talking about how the guy has the image that's easy to believe when they put it out there to say this guy should be scary. And it's like if there's more of an understanding of what this America thing is and what certain ideologies lean to, especially what Republicans are after 1965, that you should really just see 
a, a dorky looking dude like that, mm-hmm. right? The most Pee Wee Herman, the the Tom from Blues Clues, whoever that. <laughs> like he he should look creepy too, because you don't know what background he's coming from. But there's so much plausible deniability in the air mm-hmm. that like the most normal looking folks are the absolute wackiest. Ned Flanders should be the one you're paying attention to, <laughs> right? Like that dude well, could go off. Now, now. I I have lived in the South. Having lived in the South, um, and I will and not just the South, but what's literally called the Hillbilly Triangle, um, where Kentucky and Tennessee and Virginia all come together not too far from North Carolina. Oh. Hmm. Um lower lower west side of, of Appalachia, so to speak. Um People there, in what I would call the rural petty bourgeois, look very much like a northern urban elite, to use their term, would stereotype poor people in the South. Mm. And it's important to understand that there's a lot of, that, that while, yes, and when you start talking about some parts of the state, the, the poor white trash stereotype is a real thing. At the same time, there are a lot of people who have a poor white trash redneck aesthetic who are extremely well off. Yes. And their yeah. money just goes into their trucks and their guns and not their house or their clothes. Yep. Yeah, you think like we were looking at the prices of those trucks for fun. Like those things are fucking expensive. They are. Right? Yeah. It's, it's the Duck Dynasty thing again or like um the the two people that were a couple that became a meme when they uh the two that had the guns yeah. on their property yeah. to protect from it. <laughs> it's like, yo, those are the wacky bastards they right are. there. Like mm-hmm. as a person that worked in customer service, like um I I was working on um uh, right by a place called Baldwin Park, which was recently built in Orlando at the time. So the upper class folks were there all the way to the point where that's just where they put the mayor's mansion. Mayor Buddy Dyer of Orlando was living there. And in customer service, those are the most belligerent people mm-hmm. were coming out of Baldwin Park. Everyone else from the city of Orlando was cool, but you knew the Baldwin Park customers. Yeah, like those folks, and and they are dangerous. They will shoot you, especially because they have that affluenza. They may get away with it, mm-hmm. and they they're right to be confident that they can. It's 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 or you know the other place that I bring to mind, even though it's a completely different aesthetic, is Orange County, California, hmm. where everybody has the mindset of those folks from the deep south that everybody thinks about, but they look like your 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 ordinary civil white people. Mm-hmm. And it's really terrifying when you get in too deep with the the well-off down there because the attitudes all of a sudden are not what you're used to anywhere else. It's just really funny listening to you two talk about this um, just because of my own personal experience, because of what I do for work, right? Working with SWAP and things like that. Um, I come into contact with these people like pretty often. So it's it, like I, I'm appreciating the confirmation bias right now <laughs> really is what it is yeah. because yeah no that, yeah because that's actually something that happens a lot with work is we'll have um, these type of people call in or email my job and accuse us of like promoting trafficking. Um, I had someone who kept call like 
someone who had my work number, which, you know, goes through my cell because work from home. Um, but, you know, so I kept getting this like 10, 12 calls from this person a day um, on like QAnon shit. Like there's children being trafficked at Disneyland right now. Why aren't you doing something? And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But it was that, like, unhinged conspiracy mentality, but also a lot of that uh, upper-middle-class white Karen energy. And it's fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I ran into what what claims to be weirdest weirdest thing I ever ran into and the worst mistake I ever made in booking my show. And I'm going to talk frankly about it because it's one of those things where self-criticism is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I once booked a swerf by mistake. Oh no. Yeah, no, that's the worst thing I ever did. I, I did it because she had a really great moment mm-hmm. on Brie Joy's show, just tearing Kim Iverson apart. Mm-hmm. On, tra- on trans issues. Okay. And it's very rare that you run into a... a and, 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 and I did not do my due diligence at all. I, I, I made the assumption, which I should not have, that if she's good on trans issues, she's probably not a swerf, which was my mistake in this case. Ah, yeah, that, that does seem logical. That is an easy I mean, trap to fall yeah, into. Yeah, 90% of the time. <laughs> He's a stealth turf, too. Or, more accurately, a useful idiot. Okay, I can see that. For an organization that claims to be a a brown and black organization based in the Philippines, anti-imperialist, fighting for... Uh, socialism and anti-colonialism. May I ask who it, good so far? May I ask who it was? You don't have to say if you don't want to, but may I ask who it was? The organization was a firm, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, <laughs> I've heard of them. And yeah. Esperanza was the the guest. So, can I tell you a really funny thing about Esperanza, right quick? Yes. So, um, are you familiar with oh, shit, what the fuck is that nigga's name? The British guys. Uh, whoa, the fucking uh, um shit! I was on a, on a fuck. I forgot the name of their podcast now. British Broadcasting Woman's Hour. No, no, no. Those um, I've, I'll remember the name of the pot. Uh, Lumpen Proletariat, I think, or the Lumpen Podcast. Do you know that one? I think I may have heard of it. I so, don't think I knew them really. Well. Hilarious thing. They um actually had me and they, well, they wanted me to come on and they wanted Esperanza to come on yeah. so that we could both do like our uh, like essentially a debate of like opposing views of the Nordic model. Yes. And when Esperanza found out it was going to be against me, she canceled. <laughs> And well, then and-, and then said, okay, we can do it, but we have to go on at separate times. We can't be on together. And so the guy who runs the podcast was like, fine, whatever. And then after Esperanza recorded with them, he had mentioned that it, um, when he had first got into activism, he had a crush on her. So yes. she turned around and said that basically um, he had sexually harassed her. And so it was unethical for him to put up the podcast episode she recorded about the Nordic model because yep. he's a bat because he's like a sexual predator. She she accused my former co-host of something similar when he took issue with a tweet she had made about um, specifically saying that leftist men pretended to support sex workers because they wanted to abuse them. Yeah, that sounds like yeah, that's something she would say. Uh, and he 
he went off the handle on that. He's a very, very excitable gentleman who perhaps tries too hard to fit into certain stereotypes of his ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Very excitable, gets into gets into fights. Offended her greatly in his response in showing in taking umbrage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she accused him of the same thing. Oh, so this is just what she does. Okay. This is this appears to be one of the things she does. And also, um, she does actually hate trans people. It's not covert now that we're just talking about her. No, and I found <clears throat> that out after the fact as well. I saw some. The one thing that I will was very glad of is a friend of mine caught me and gave me a bunch of good questions to ask along with receipts so I knew what the answers should be. Mm-hmm. And she revealed herself as not really knowing anything about her organization in key ways mm-hmm. or else lying through her teeth, one or the other. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I but that. but that aside, I was really disappointed. Once I realized that she was a, a swerf, I started pushing back on that. And mm-hmm. she ended up blocking me and my co-host a few days after. <laughs> that seems to be a thing. And, you know, as I'm talking about work stuff, because um, Affirm has a very strong foothold in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And uh, something that's been a problem with us is that we actually do have requests from people who are... Um, you know, experiencing hardships while doing sex work, uh, people who need resources, things like that. And it's actually difficult to get resources there because of a firm. So, yeah, like they're actually making it worse for sex workers in Hawaii right now. I mean, the one thing, and I just, this is just logic to me. If you're taking out all of the idealism and all of the ethics and all the morality and all the panic, because the panic is the thing that needs to be thrown out the most. Mm -hmm. If you really want people to quote unquote exit sex work, then you better have a job waiting for them that pays them enough that they can do it without being in danger. Yep. Because if you if you pay them enough that they can do a safe job and make money and not be in danger and live in the same lifestyle, great. If you're not doing that, fuck you. Mm-hmm. No, that's 100% accurate. And it's really disappointing, but that is a thing that you see with a lot of these organizations because their goal, I think that that's something that, you know, really does have to be said about these organizations. And people get really mad when you point it out, but their goal is to end demand. That means just to reduce the amount of people in the sex trade altogether. So when that's your only goal, when you start looking at how to get people out of the industry, it doesn't really matter as long as they get out. And that's why they're constantly pushing, um, you know, like more police and state surveillance. They're pushing for sex workers to get arrested because it doesn't like because if you're in jail, you're not doing sex work. So they have decreased their numbers. They won. Like, fuck you. But yeah, I have to I have to apologize in advance for doing a very male thing and correcting you for which, again, I apologize. (laughs) It's like I said on Twitter the other day, they are not actually trying to end demand. They are directly attacking supply. Demand would be the Johns. Demand is the theory under the Nordic model that, yeah, let's arrest the Johns and and shut down the demand and and not bother the workers. But that's not how the Nordic model actually works, and we know it. Right. Except the thing is that because of the way that sex laws are written, demand has become such a huge thing. And that's why we end up with these like weird ass situations, right? With like the brothel keeping laws. I'm sure I'm assuming I'm guessing you've seen those. I am familiar with all sorts of laws that I know can basically get a boyfriend arrested. If his girlfriend 
helps him with the rent. Yes, exactly. Those type of situations. Uh, if you drive someone to uh, to see a client, you can get like yep. pimping and pandering charges. Um, yep. A big thing they were doing under the Nordic model in Scandinavian countries, particularly in Norway, was evicting sex workers by yes. saying that they were going to charge their landlords as pimps for renting to them. Like the whole thing is like horrible, but that's, you know, and you're right. Their goal is not actually to... Um, help sex workers in any capacity but um you know their goal is to make life as difficult as possible for sex workers and that also then feeds the other side of their argument is that all sex work is inherently like abusive and exploitation and just somehow uniquely bad compared to other industries which is a weird ass argument i don't even understand that argument but um no, you know i i have a friend mm -hmm. who works in an auto factory in michigan she has been trying to find the right opportunity to get out of that to do almost anything else because it is literally physically killing her to do that work. Uh-huh. And people do not understand the degree of abuse that happens just in the ordinary day-to-day -day life of doing your job. Yep. Regardless of what industry you're in, I have it better than a lot of people. I sit in a chair and I talk on the phone, but you can hear the toll that takes on my voice. I have that great growl because I'm hoarse all the time. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, you have a great radio voice. Yes, I do, but it's because I talk on the phone all day and it hurts. Right. <laughs> No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I've worked in a lot of fields and I've had a lot of jobs. But, you know, I, I think that one of the worst one of the worst jobs I had actually was waitressing. It was terrible, yes. terrible. Uh, but, yeah, you know, back in my younger days, you know, I, you know, 19, 20, 22 years old like that, you know, go work at Denny's, go work at IHOP. And the way that I was treated on a daily basis, just customers saying like the most racist things to me, the most sexist things to me, uh, the kitchen staff just being absolutely disgusting, you know, towards a lot of to pretty much every woman who worked there, <laughs> you know, all those sort of things. And yet no one ever tried to save me from that. No, <laughs> you know? nobody, nobody <laughs> ever wants to save service workers. In no. fact, the very same people who claim they want to save sex workers are the same people who are also desert, deserting to these right-wing fake communist movements that want to throw baristas and waitresses under the bus. Yes, I, I don't know what is going on with the barista hate lately, but it's fucking weird. But yeah, so, I, I, I see a lot of that, um, a lot of, and then there's this uh, sort of like fetishizing of like factory workers, right? Like the blue collar jobs. Yes. But yet, like no one talks about the toll those type of jobs take on your body. Like there are so many people I talk to, whether they have been like on uh, doing like assembly lines, packers and pickers who just have to regularly get carpal tunnel surgery now. Um, fucking the on the floor factory workers, like their bodies, their feet and backs are just falling apart. Fucking secret, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep I keep going. They don't tell you about good union jobs is UAW, UAW auto workers still die on the job. Mm. Yeah. And it's um, it's wild that we don't. It, yeah, so really, it, it's bizarre to me that we're framing sex work as somehow 
um, a unique form of exploitation when all labor is actually exploitation, yes. like if you want to get into it. And workers in general do not have rights. Workers in general do not have protections. And workers in general do not have living wages. And another huge aspect of this is the uh, ableism aspect because I know so many sex workers like, and of course this isn't like a study, but just off of the sex workers I know and interact with on a semi-regular basis, I would say probably 60 to 70 percent uh, either have some sort of disability or are a caretaker for someone with a disability that would prevent them from getting like a straight job anyway. Every, so, you know, because they every, simply don't have the scheduling ability to like, I have to be here Monday through, you know, Monday through Saturday, I, nine to five or whatever. They simply cannot with, do it. And, people, and, and also, and let's let's be frank about this, because this is we mentioned medical racism and medical sexism. They are often people with invisible, chronic, and invisible and chronic disabilities of which the medical establishment is skeptical, especially if you're poor. Yes, yes. Uh, people with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome are not going to get the disability they deserve at the same rate as people with as people in a wheelchair. It's a fact. Yeah, have you heard of um, EDS, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? Oh, yes, I have. So, do you want to know how many people I know who have it? Um, I, I, can, I know at least one person off the top of my head. I don't know if we both know them or not, but that's one right there. I know. I can think of two, so I'm guessing you know at least as many as I do, possibly more. I know eight people who have it, and every single one of them is a sex worker because of it, because they cannot do another job. Every single the, one. The person I know of is is um, is not actively a sex worker, but is on, but is but is and is fortunate enough to be on disability for it because they're very, they have a clear diagnosis. But mm -hmm. yeah, no. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and it's and you know we don't talk about that either. And I think that that's like a big part of the conversation because even if you come through with all these jobs, if they're you know due to like scheduling issues because someone has to you know take care of children and they can't necessarily afford daycare, or because the child has a disability and needs extra care, or because the person themselves has has a disability, even if you come through with these jobs to get sex workers out, a lot of them still won't be able to leave. And I really hate that we don't talk about that, but that is I think one of the downsides of framing sex work as somehow yes. being like uniquely harmful. Exactly. We're like, okay, but look at everything else. <laughs> what? And I actually, <laughs> and I should not have done it in retrospect. It was just the wrong thread to do it in. Uh-huh. But I actually asked just flat out in one of the swerf threads one day, mm -hmm. but why specifically is sexual exploitation worse than all the other exploitation? Oh, no. Did, yeah, did no, you that was yelled? the wrong way to do that. Let anyway. me guess. You got in trouble for saying that because you have a penis. Among other things. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that really is um, a very valid question, and it makes people really uncomfortable, and they have a knee-jerk reaction to be like, oh, well, you don't care about rape, then of course you say that. Like, that type of shit. But it is a valid question, and part of the reason that I really do find it to be so is because we don't actually talk about sexual abuse and sexual, sexual exploitation um, in accurate terms. So, like, look at, for example, how many sex workers have been sexually abused or harassed by police. 
you know, how many sex workers or not even just sex workers, but women, well, men too, people who get end up getting locked up for something who then are sexually abused by guards. So it's wild to me that while I, on the one hand you have like these swerves saying that this is about protecting women and girls from sexual exploitation, but they'll literally lock you in a cage with a fucking rapist. Yeah. Make yeah. it make sense. And, and, and they want cops to be the intervention here when cops are not going to need, are not going to objectively side with sex workers just because the law says they're supposed to. Exactly. I mean, the fact that what the shit that went down with Backpage, like people still don't even fucking talk about that. That was such a, that set everything back years and people don't even know. Like, it's so and, frustrating. Yeah, and Sesta Fosta and everything that's come since. It's been a nightmare. And the the attacks on credit card companies and mm. online billing services. No media coverage for this. No, not really. But no one, because no, that's the thing. This is always how it goes down because sex workers as a group are essentially not cared about by society. So it always seems to be a thing that they focus something, especially when it involves state surveillance and tech. They focus it on sex workers as that sort of uh, canary in the coal mine thing. And it keeps going and keeps expanding from there because, like, it's interesting now watching people freak out. Uh, ever since Roe v. Wade was overturned, like realizing that now, you know, like police and shit are tracking, they're tracking your yep. menstrual cycle app thing, you know, your period tracker. They're looking at your DMs to see if you're going out of state, like your neighbors have a right to snitch on you. And mm. people are suddenly and, alarmed by this surveillance. And it's like, and, this is what Sesta Fosta was, y'all. Let, well, let's all talk about the elephant in the room. Isn't a cop really likely to be a rapist who who doesn't want the the mother to get an abortion himself just by playing the odds? Yes. Yes. Definitely. And you know, but like people don't want to have that conversation and now here we are and people I can't believe this surveillance. I can't believe this tech. And it's like this is exactly what they've been weaponizing against sex workers. It's exactly what they've been weaponizing against uh, well, okay, so for sex workers, for the end-demand uh, shit, uh, this is exactly the type of tech that they've been using for undocumented people. This is exactly yes. the type of tech that's been um, in non-white neighborhoods uh, for, you know, the sake of the all, drug war. <laughs> all kinds of criminalized work. Yep. Let's 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 call it what it is, criminalized work. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be selling cigarettes under the table. You could be selling drugs. You could be selling your body. You could be transporting people across the border. You could be doing a whole bunch of things. You could be working under the table, either as an undocumented person or working under the table, as many people do just as a basic tax fraud all around the country as we yep. speak. Yep. So all of these criminalized workers are uniquely targeted in a way that workers who are not criminalized are not. Yes. Not the criminal industries employing these workers, the workers themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. But people don't want to address that. And I think that goes back to that whole sort of, uh, you know, Christian Protestant work ethic thing. You have to pull yourself up by bootstraps. And that means you have to suffer and you have to do it the right way. And if you suffer the right way long enough, eventually you'll maybe get a reward. Puritanism. <laughs> yes. Now, I love the word Puritanism because it's as close to is it's close as you can get to saying Nazism and being really American. 
Um, I also like the word Puritanism because it really explains our roots in a way that no other no other word does. Yeah. So Massachusetts was settled by two groups of people. The first group of people, the the people who who basically ended up founding what we think of as the state of Massachusetts in the modern day, settled at Massachusetts Bay, built what's now Boston, built up the colony, and they were conservative religious nutballs already. Mm-hmm. They had supported Cromwell during the Civil War. They were descendants of people who no longer wanted to live in England under Cromwell, and so they they scooted out to Massachusetts because Puritans were already there. Right. That being the Plymouth Colony. Now, let's talk about the Plymouth Colony because the Pilgrims are such a deep part of our mythology. Who are the Pilgrims? The Pilgrims are people who left England under Cromwell because they thought Cromwell was too liberal and tolerant. <laughs> right. And they went to Holland, where because of to- Holland's unique system of religious tolerance, they were able to build their own enclosed community, cut off from the rest of the city except through their businesses, which did very well. Mm-hmm. The downside was is they were so intolerant that they were greatly offended that their kids were now starting to speak English with Dutch accents. Mm-hmm. And that their kids were speaking Dutch in school instead of English, and all these other things that oh, our kids aren't going to be English anymore. So they left Holland to come to what is now Massachusetts in Plymouth. They landed at Cape Cod. Um, before they left Holland, they went to England and hired two ships: the Mayweather and the Speedwell. Mm-hmm. and a professional mercenary named Miles Standish who became famous in American literature. Several years after their arrival, beyond all the awful stuff that they would do to the indigenous Americans, they would attack the second colony in Massachusetts, which was known as Marymount by the locals, even though that wasn't his official name, because they were having a good time. They literally went out and burned the place down and ran them out under the excuse that they had put up a maypole and danced around it and done a bunch of other fun things that were not at all Christian. Therefore, we should kill them and burn their houses. Mm-hmm. This is not talked about. I mean... You hear about the, the you hear about the lie about how the pilgrims got along with the indigenous and had the Thanksgiving. That's a lie in the first place. But they were even killing the other white people they thought were trying to cut into their act yep. under the excuse of religious to- intolerance. Yep. Which I wish was talked about more because then maybe we could change people's minds about this whole civility thing that we were talking about earlier where I know they're goofy evangelicals, but maybe if we're just polite to them. No. But, but that was the whole thing is these people at Marymount had done everything the right way. They had gone through the right legal channels with the business partners of the pilgrims back in England. They had been licensed by the same company. They set up and, and set up their colony. And... But the pilgrims just weren't having it. Nope. Ugh. And I think about that a lot as a white person. And it just 
really drives home no one should be trusting these Nazis. No mm -hmm. one. Not even other white people who aren't Nazis. Yep. I like that I can find tweets of yours to bring on the screen that match what you're saying. <laughs> I'm pretty consistent. That's <laughs> in, in my bio on Twitter. And the reason it's, in, reason it's in my bio on Twitter is because a liberal columnist for the nation said to me one day, you know, you're one consistent motherfucker. Heck yeah, that's why people hate leftists. <laughs> <laughs> well, he and I get along for whatever reason. For the most part, that's absolutely true. Many of his colleagues block me. I believe it. Yeah, one one thing I'd like to look up, um, I'm not really into the horror films. I'm not uh, real big on the Halloween. Uh, you know, I, I don't really do holidays a great deal anyway, but I sat down, you know, with the household and we looked at a low-budget horror film last year and it was called Pilgrim. And I swear, I don't know who made this movie, but they've got to be ideologically aligned with us because this was just like low budget, please look out for white supremacy propaganda. They did what they could. That movie really showed the attitude. It's just that with the budget they had, it wasn't very well produced and it would be hard to get a lot of people to look at it. But if they were to really get a good budget, good acting, you know, good editing and whatnot behind it, it's a great way to show the through line of exactly how a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Lindsey Graham is a pilgrim right now. And then to be a conspiracy theorist again, there's a reason that the horror movie about white supremacy that we get is antebellum and not pilgrim. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But only like 10% of the population owns slaves. That's not about us. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so let's, that's, a, that, that's a great number. That's a great number to break down on that. Only 10% of the population owns slaves. So first, let's start about how the fact that only about 10% of the population of Mississippi was white in 1840. Hmm. 90% of the population of Mississippi was slaves. This is one of the reasons that most black people who can trace their, 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 uh, their lineage back to slavery can come from these deep South states that are, are minority black now, but were majority black then because of the, the huge diaspora over the years that followed. First, when Reconstruction ended, again, during the Depression, mm -hmm. where people were just trying to get get away from poverty and racism, it wouldn't stop. And you have to understand that, that the black population of Harlem, New York, for instance, escaped from these conditions in the Deep South, where 90% of them had been owned before the Civil War. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about that. No, no, we do not at all. And the historical context for America is important. Mm -hmm. The things we don't talk about are part of that historical context. That's why we don't talk about them. Right. When you look at the ridiculous attack on public, public education under the guise of attacking a a college level elective that is not taught in elementary school or high school at all. It's because we're already lying about history. 
Yep. And they think that the watered down, whitewashed version is still too nice to the black people and too nice to the indigenous people. Mm -hmm. They think that even liberal pity is too much. Yep. I agree with that. And it, you know, and it also really does feed into the whole, like, you know, as we we're just talking about, you know, Puritans and whatnot, the whole, um, that whole very uh, hyper individualistic ideology of if something's wrong in your life, it's your fault as a person. Like, it, who gives a fuck if you've had, that, if you're coming from 500 years of trauma, racism, that, slavery, and structural oppression? If you're fucking that, up right now, it's your fault. <laughs> that that individualized guilt in a collectivized theological society where banishment from the collective into individuality was a horrible punishment. Yeah. But here we are. Exactly. <laughs> but then when uh, when somebody like, uh, I'll throw out the name LeBron James because I don't know a lot of these celebrities and athletes. When they, uh, they make a bunch of money but they don't talk the way you want to, then you're being ungrateful. <laughs> so it's individualized guilt, but it's socialized success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what's more is there's an acceptance in this socialized success. You are, by, by, by fulfilling your responsibilities in this system of socialized success, you, be, you remain part of the club. Mm-hmm. People who do not do the things that they're supposed to to remain part of the club if they're lucky they make some money they go back into into obscurity but they always have some money and they they're okay if they're not lucky they end up like Brittany Murphy yeah um, or a bunch of other people but that's the one that comes to my to mind most because if you go back and look at things in past tense, you can literally see whatever you think of the grifter she married, whether he was a good guy, a bad guy, whatever. You can see this moment when she made the decision to marry him instead of dating all these appropriate people in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. She was shut out of the club. They slammed the door on her and left her to her mother and her husband in circumstances that led to her death. Mm -hmm. Whoever killed her, whoever's fault it was. You can see that direct line between her no longer playing the game and her being cut off from the group. Mm -hmm. Because how many celebrities die alone like that when they haven't been cut off? Right, exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think that that's yeah, also... Huh. Um, John Mulaney's doing great. John Mulaney <laughs> is doing great. Um, no, I agree with that. And it, I think it's also um, interesting that it, it's not just that you get kicked out of a club. It's like they have to add a level, a level of sadism onto it as well. Because yes. you never... Because if everyone could just leave, it wouldn't matter. But it's like you're leaving and you're not allowed to come back. You're leaving and we're punishing you on the way out. We're leaving and we're, you know, whatever. We're you... leaving and the tabloids are making you into a far bigger slut and druggie than you probably are, even if you have those problems. 
Exactly. Like, yeah, it's like we're hurting you as much as possible on the way out. And it really does, you know, help feed that fear of ostracism or excommunication and make you think that you do need to rely on the group to survive because look at what happened to this other person who got kicked out, you know. So it's it's a very horrible cycle, actually. (laughs) I mean, it's like you look at what happened to River Phoenix in the situation that happened to him. Mm-hmm. Well, why was he alone like that? Well, hmm. he was al- alone like that because he had some of the same experiences that other people who have been ostracized had had and maybe was going to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I, I will I... never for, I mean, you know, conspiracy theories again, but I will never forget the fact that the, the place where River Phoenix bought the drugs was the Viper Room, and he OD'd in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to tie more abuse in Hollywood back into each other. Yeah. I could totally see that, actually. <laughs> but this yeah, I hate, what, I hate our society. And, and here we go back to QAnon level, and, and here we are at QAnon. Yeah. Very easily, without ever mentioning drinking baby's blood because you that's the stupid stuff that's coded language for the people who need to know what kind of movement this is right that's why a group of people who claim to be communists say that they want to organize with republicans because that's saying that's signaling what kind of a group they really are mm-hmm, definitely yeah, I fully agree with that. And I can't... I also, like, why the fuck do people take that seriously? Does so, anyone actually believe that these, like, alleged communists who want to work with Republicans aren't just Republicans? Like, people really... So, fucking... there are two levels. And it's important to understand both. On the important level, the level that matters, the rational level, the real world level, the level that 90% of us interact in 90% of the time, it's absolutely not serious and is not deserving of serious consideration in any way. It's absurd and should be laughed at. Now that's that's one level that's all true. Mm-hmm. Then you have another level. You have the level that matters to the people who are in the group. It is an identity, it is an aesthetic, it is something that they can be together and draw strength from and use that strength to punch somebody in the mouth who's wearing a dress because they think that that person shouldn't wear a dress. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are signaling an aesthetic But at the same time, they're signaling that despite the aesthetic, this is what we're really about. Right. Yeah, and I get... I get that from the people who are involved in it. What I think confuses me are the people from the outside. Because I saw a bunch of liberals, you know, as... What the fuck is his name? Jackson Hinkle? Whoever that fucking goofy-ass grifter is. Oh, my God. Right? Is that the one saying MAGA communism? Is that him? Yeah, him. Yeah, because, like, when he was saying that, I was like, no left... No actual leftist is going to fucking take this seriously as a thing. Like, obviously, the leftists who want to be Nazis, they just, you know, whatever. I get it. You know where all that comes from, right? What's that? The mega communism bullshit, among other things. Well, how or where? Okay, so there used to be a group. Um, it is defunct now because its its director 
was was exposed as just a massive cultish sex predator. Oh, good. Uh, called the Center for Policy Innovation. Mm-hmm. Which, in retrospect, it turns out, was funded by uh, the same, well, funded pretty much directly by the same people at whose climate denial summit the MAGA communists were speaking at, which is to say, the LaRouche cult. Mm-hmm. So CPI got its money from the LaRouche cult and started pushing the sort of British Stalinism with a right-wing aesthetic that's pushed by a specific group in the UK called the Communist Party of Great Britain, Marxist-Leninist, who are turfs and swerfs and anti-Semitic and anti-Muslim and who organize with the Tories and the Brexit Party against other communists. <laughs> okay. So how fun. This is the kind of this is the kind of communism that the senator for, that the Center for Policy Innovation was pushing in the first place and they were being funded to push it by their LaRouche cult allies apparently. Mm. Okay, that's So fun. they recruited a unimportant but middle fair to middling tier following uh, podcaster named Peter Coffin. Needed oh an God! Needed I... an aesthetic to to grab <sighs> onto. I forgot he existed until just now. Thanks. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but they they grabbed they latched onto him. They latched onto an associate of friends of mine in the Communist Party who are organizing in the state of Illinois who uh, was on YouTube under the name of Fox Green. He actually ended up speaking now at that that LaRouche uh, anti-climate change summit. Uh, it's gross. It all started because this group of podcasts associated with CBI, with CPI mm-hmm. started pushing this grievance mythology saying that Jeff Bezos was behind the land back movement. What? That's how it started? That's how it started. I kind of want to see if Vosh has repeated that information. Oh, man. That information was repeated by a lot of people because some of the people who were associated with it, while not necessarily top tier, were not considered bad faith actors yet. Um, Fox Green was literally, the Fox Green dude was literally organizing with people I know in Illinois to help people not have their utilities shut off. Mm Mm-hmm. He was involved in promoting that. He seemed like a good guy and was all of a sudden pushing this same Jeff Bezos is behind land back conspiracy theory as these scary people. Mm-hmm. So there were lots of people, if you thought Peter Coffin was legitimate and maybe a little bit of a uh, cringy class firster, but not necessarily malicious, you might buy that because, hey, Jeff Bezos, right? Uh, if you are, if you thought this guy Fox Green was legitimate, you might have retweeted that before you realized it was part of this whole bigger grievance mythology. Right. I had a friend who was like, "No, no, this guy Fox is legitimate. I, I get what you're saying about this larger group, but I've got to talk to him. I know he's legitimate." Mm-hmm. But now he's speaking at their their climate denial crisis. 
Right. But a climate denial summit. Sorry, I can't talk. But but so that's where it started. So there were legitimate people who were repeating this this first conspiracy theory. Oh Lord. And of course, once you get sucked into something that seems like it could be legitimate, mm-hmm. like the the Jeff Bezos has given some money to some land back groups and it looks bad. To it's a Jeff Bezos back conspiracy to indigenous people aren't the proletariat. It never stops. It always just keeps snowballing. And it was the people and it was the people who were going so far as to say indigenous people aren't the proletariat, who are the same people who started calling themselves MAGA communists and who Jackson Hinkle picked it up from. I mean, I want to say I'm shocked by that trajectory, but I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, it's wild to me that this is all happening with land back. Uh, well, with the uh, MAGA communist thing. But like liberals actually thought that like leftists were really into this. And I was like, what do you know nothing about leftists at all? So, so here's the problem. And here's where the trouble where, where the trouble starts to, to sink in. Let's tell the truth about the left in America, which is there is no un- there is no left in America in any sort of unified or organized sense, right? Mm-hmm. There are some people who get along with each other in various groups and organize together, and then at the highest levels, these groups are very sectarian and don't like each other, mm-hmm. and in some cases, actually counter organize against each other in totally counterproductive ways. Yep. I mean, excuse me, just right now, just an example from um, not really a black left, but like a a movement against racism would fall under a left. But these folks, I wouldn't call them the left. And it's uh, Tariq Nasheed and his folks and Mm. some other black people arguing about um, reparations, but they're deliberately holding separate rallies because they have Twitter beef. All right, back back to you. <laughs> no, I know the group you mean. Oh yeah, we, they organize the against each people, other. <laughs> these are the same people that MSNBC accused of being Russian trolls mm-hmm. during the election. Now, there's, I would say, from my understanding of troll activity, those are exactly the kind of groups that trolls of all sorts of types latch onto because the controversial stuff is what you troll, right? Right. So, I it's and it's always the little account who's obviously fake, and then somebody goes from there to saying something absolutely silly, like naming people who, when you actually look at their accounts on Twitter, they have blue check marks and aren't that left of the other liberals, mm-hmm. getting labeled as Russian trolls because they talked about not voting for Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton. Yep. And I hate the whole, I gotta say, I hate the whole Russian troll thing because it seems like such a great way to make American politics somehow even more divisive. Because now it's literally like anytime um, a non-white person has a complaint, they're like, are you sure that's not just a Russian troll? Like, yeah, no, there's no racism here. It's great. but But the gross part is there is some kind of contact going on between these LaRouche cult connected putatively communist groups and the the fringes around Alexander Dugan in Russian politics. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I, I, what concerns me about that is I feel like we're never gonna really 
be able to talk about those connections in like an appropriate and nuanced way because we're still stuck in this whole knee-jerk like oh you're a black person and you said something about racism in america you're a russian troll and like that's the russian troll conversation and it's like that that should not be what the conversation is right now (laughs) but it's you know here we are if, if the democrats wanted to have a serious conversation about foreign influences in politics, then they would seriously look at the connections between RT America and press TV and some of the fringes of these MAGA communists slash uh, mecha tanky slash patriotic socialist style online groups. Mm-hmm. Because what you're seeing is this media nexus where you're getting very right-wing messages pounded behind a left-wing aesthetic with right-wing characteristics. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely agree with that. And it makes it very hard for lots of people not to pick some of this stuff up. If you're online, you're exposed to it. And, you know, we say, well, Twitter isn't real life, but, you know, Jackson Hinkle was on Fox News. Exactly. Which means people on Fox News are saying, you know, there are some communists who might kind of come over with us if all this goes down. Mm-hmm. And now they're thinking about all this because of something some stupid guy on YouTube said on Tucker Carlson. Yep. And liberals are thinking about this because the right-wingers are thinking about this. And now there's this whole imaginary and yet real notion that some of these things that the, that the liberals were saying about the left in 2016 and 2020 really are true now. And they can point to the way Jimmy Dore's politics have moved or the way that Nico House's politics have moved or other of these large but not huge audiences. The, the people who would come as close as possible to being able to, to compete with the Young Turks and who have connections to, you know, Max Blumenthal on one hand and Jack Posabiak on the other. Mm-hmm. And this is very nebulous world where you see a lot of right-wing ideas in this supposedly left-wing group. Yes. Um, speaking of campaign interference, did you see the thing about Saudi Arabia with the midterms oh my gosh what the fuck is going on and why are more people not talking about it well you know that's people aren't talking about saudi arabia because saudi arabia owns so much of the media why would they talk about it um you have to understand that until elon musk bought it saudi arabia owned one of the biggest pieces of twitter out there why were we not talking about saudi about why were we not talking about mbs owning Twitter at one step removed ever. Hmm. Why don't we talk about MBS potentially owning a big chunk of the Atlantic at two steps removed? Mm-hmm. Um, why do we that not talk so about more. the fact that the former money man for the U.S. investments of the sovereign Royal Wealth Fund is business partners with Obama's former Secretary of Education and Steve Jobs' widow. Yeah, we probably should be talking about that. 
Lorraine, um, Lorraine Jobs, Arnie Duncan, and Michael Klein are the managing partners of a weird little outfit called the Millennium Collective. Mm-hmm. And the Millennium Collective's existence as a collective is roughly as legitimate as Ayn Rand's buddies calling their little right-wing right-wing sex club the collective. Right. And and I, I, you don't hear people talking about the Millennium Collective's ownership of the Atlantic with Saudi money. You don't talk about the Millennium Collective's contributions to the Bill Gates and Michael Bloomberg and Betsy DeVos funded assault on the public school system. Mm-hmm. Okay. You don't. And then you it will, don't it will... hear about the Millennium Collective being the people who designed the border jails for Obama and Biden. And I don't know if this is the same folks, but um, but you had a uh, a tweet up also saying um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Emerson uh, Collective, not Millennium Collective. My apologies, the Emerson Collective. Okay, I was searching your name looking for Millennium Collective, and, Emerson and, it, Collective. and Twitter kept showing me that picture of a chicken. <laughs> Emerson Collective. I don't know why my brain did that. Okay, and then um, a tweet you have up from October fourth, eight thirty six in the a.m. Uh, saying, "Quote." Uh, remember when the activist who shamed MBS into legally letting women drive was arrested and disappeared? The U.S. is fine with religious and political oppression from its allies. Yep. Makes you think of Khashoggi. Yep. Because I, I'm going to be upfront about it. I've been, I've gotten lot, I've gotten lots of flack from some people on, uh, online about it. I support people in Iran not wanting to be ruled by religious Nazis the same way I support people in the U.S. not wanting to be ruled by religious Nazis. The only reason the United States isn't supporting Iran the way they support Saudi Arabia is we already support Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. We, want, we used to support both Saudi Arabia and Iran and all our oil companies despite our official stance towards Iran have backroom dealings with Iran through third parties. So I, I'm not super sympathetic to the it's all a CIA plot uh, take on the Iranian revolution, particularly since their communist parties are for it and are taking part. Mm. Who am I to second guess their communists? They're the one. They're the communists right. in Iran. Right. Um, but all that aside, you know. The only reason we're not supporting Iran is we already support Saudi Arabia. That October post, despite the fact that I support what's going on in Iran, is to draw attention to the fact that the exact same thing is happening in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I think um, I remember... Uh, oh my gosh, I think it was a couple years ago now that everyone kept applauding MBS saying that like he was like super progressive because he wanted women in the workforce. And I was like, that's not really... They still have the guardianship laws though, right? Well, and, well, and that's the whole thing. He, he came out and said, we're going to let women drive now. And everybody said, oh, he's so liberal. Mm-hmm. And then the week after they said, we're going to let women drive now, all the activists who had actually done the protesting that got women the right to drive disappeared and none of them have ever been seen again. Yep. 
Yeah. We don't talk about that. We don't we talk still about don't that. Talk about that. They mentioned it when it happened, when they were on their little short-lived "We Hate MBS" kick, mm-hmm. which is coming back now because they they think he's pro-Russian. Yeah. But with those moments aside, we do not hear about the things that happen in Saudi Arabia the way we hear about the things that happen in Iran. Right. And there is no U.S. aid coming to the the people in Saudi Arabia the way that it will be offered to folks in Iran. And it is to their credit that many groups in Iran have already said, we don't want U.S. aid. In our country, we want to handle this ourselves. Seems pragmatic. Yeah. As we uh, were a little over an hour here, and one yeah. thing I'm thinking is like, I would want to say, ah, oh, you should do a show. You already do one. You're already putting in the effort. Like you already, you made a program, you made a Twitter, and you're already putting in the effort. So really the most I can do is just um, retweet and put the links to the shows up. Because I, I always come across people where I want to make that suggestion, but it isn't necessary this time. No, I do do a show. I actually... I, I started doing Twitter for my mental health. I got a DM out of the blue one day uh, from someone who I had interacted with but didn't know well, said, hey, you should come on the podcast sometime. And then it never got followed up and I didn't think about it again. Uh, and then somebody else DM'd me um, about a year after that and said, hey, you should come on my YouTube show and I'm okay. And it happened. And eventually I ended up doing this. And the funny thing is the person is the stranger who sent me that DM is also on this show right now. Huh. And now uh the I see you're on the YouTube. Do you have an RSS feed to podcast audio of your program? I do not at this point. I need to or at least get audio up on Audible, but I am tremendously limited by the fact that I do this all off a of Chromebook. Oh, man. That makes... Okay, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, that's um, So I have YouTube. I have Twitter. I need to branch out into something like Twitch at some point or get my face or get a Facebook account up and running again to have one more platform to stream to. But I mean, no, no RSS feed yet. I wish I did. Yeah, but you do. But the the YouTube does exist. It is there. Right. And uh, and I'm subscribed to it. So other folks that are following the wine cellar, the couple people that follow us also subscribe. Yeah, it's it's just it, it's good content. Yeah, it's it's words that are worth saying. Yeah, I, I didn't even really have much to add in. I was just trying to, as far as producing the video, I was trying to keep up with the pace of the conversation. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh I- Jesus, I need visuals for this. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, that that was dope. Um, and I guess we'll all we're pretty much in the same echo chamber as it were so we'll be interacting yes so i guess yeah i i am always happy to to collaborate more in any way i can help you guys get more bandwidth i am always happy for anything that helps me get more bandwidth and i am picky about who i say that to yeah thank thank you no we feel very much the same way um yeah we should definitely do this more often 
Yeah, so like most likely, like in due time, like we're we're gonna end up touching mics again. It be it, it, it's a bit challenging, obviously, because of the main thing. We'll just yeah. say the word capitalism. Right. We're right? Yep. I have a. I, I do all of this around a day job. Yeah. Yep. Um, the 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 only thing that I can say about my independent media career, as far as making any money goes, is that the first year I paid for a Patreon subscription, I mean, I paid for my StreamYard subscription, uh, I was able to pay for it out of the, out of my Patreon, no problem. But then I found, but then friends needed help and I started giving people money because I had it in, in, I had it to give. And and I'm back to to, to, to not paying for my show again. <laughs> yeah, it yeah it, it's gruff. Like I think the first time like uh, I made money off the podcast, it was like a net ten dollars a month. It was <laughs> like all right, because the main thing was I needed to just make more than the price to do business, right? Cause, exactly. Yeah, the yeah. price to do it was forty bucks a month. And as yep. soon as I made 50 bucks a month, I was like, man, I am in the game. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. Exactly. And then it was all downhill from there for me, but I'm trying to get it moving. Yeah. So, yeah, this will definitely happen again. Um, everything that we recorded here, um, I'm not going to drop as one full episode. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and break it up into the different topics that you hit and drop those throughout the week and it'll all be public none of this will be behind the paywall sounds good none of my stuff is behind a paywall either um the only stuff that's behind a paywall on my patreon honestly is direct communications to patrons Mm -hmm. Um, all my content is available free somewhere even on patreon yeah for me yeah we do uh our serious news public and free Additional yeah. comedy, Patreon. Understandable. Yeah, I need to do more with my Patreon, and I need to do more exclusive stuff for Patreon. But that's the whole—that's the whole prioritizing energy problem around the day job. Yep, everything is just so chaotic. We get it. I'm—I I'm, I have no diagnosis, but I'm sure I have some sort of executive dysfunction issue because I'm fine organizing everything around work, and then once I'm not working anymore, my will to do stuff falls apart. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I'm happy to be a broken record on it. It's capitalism. It's a capitalism yeah, problem. I is. bet. I bet if you took a year off of capitalism, you'd be like, I function executively quite well when I don't have an executive. <laughs> get rid yeah, of no, people get people get mad at me. People get mad at me because I say ninety percent. Well, not ninety percent. I say fifty percent of the mental health issues out there are just alienation and and uh, and atomization. And people get mad because they say, no, 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 it's biochemical. I'm like, no, biochemical. The biochemical changes treat symptoms. I've been on those pills. That doesn't change what's happening in your brain. It just changes outward symptoms. Mm-hmm. I think one of the wild things is people will act like mental health doesn't exist. Uh, mental health issues don't really exist because of capitalism. But then it's on the flip side, like, okay, but now what if you only had to work like 15 hours a week and you had enough to live? 
Could you could you work around it with your mental health? You know what I mean? Because like, and I'll say this: like, I have depression. Like, there's days I'm like, I'm just I'm just not getting out of bed today. I'm just not. Yes, but I have days. I've literally had days where I've missed work because I just didn't want to get out of bed, and I feel horrible about it. Yeah, and it's really, and it's also very guilty about it, and then I feel more guilty about it because it's potentially money out of our pocket, which we can't afford. Exactly. Exactly. And if you do it too many times, then you can't pay rent. And now all of a sudden you're homeless. So you have like the anxiety of like, I know I'm not well, but I have to fake that I'm being well because I have to go to work because I have to make money so I can pay these bills. And, and, then like, people, and then people say things well, like, why are you only sick when you have paid time off, but you're always here when you don't have paid time off left? Because I need to pay rent, you idiot. Exactly. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Come on now. No, that's really how it is, and people act like capitalism isn't a huge factor, but when you're constantly stressed out because one serious fuck-up and you're gonna die homeless, like, yeah, that's not really great for my anxiety. <laughs> yeah, and like, and it's even tougher, like, for Phoenix Kalita, right, because she has these troubles, but then also, she married a man that is a horrible driver. I'm a terrible driver, so all the hours I work, she's driving me to and from all these contracts my, and shit. My, my wife does the same thing because my invisible disability that I don't talk about very much because I don't feel disabled 90% of the time is epilepsy. Mm. And I am one of the people who did not uh, take driver's ed as a kid because of adolescent seizures, mm-hmm. who grew out of those seizures and in theory could have gotten a driver's license, but then relapsed again, which means because I've relapsed, now I can't ever drive. Mm. Ever. Mm. Even if I never have another seizure again, it's very hard for me to get a driver's license. On top of the all the extra hangups that you have, about learning to do something in your 40s instead of your 20s. Right. That's rough out here. Yeah, it's capitalism, really, because people were not designed to live like this. This is fucking goofy. No, it's weird. but, But I feel stupid. On the one hand, I feel stupid saying I'm disabled because I can walk anywhere within walking distance. I just can't drive. But on the other hand, in America, you kind of need to drive for 80% of shit. Yeah. You really do. And, and then it suddenly is a disability. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that was part of like the, the ableism conversation too, is that we talked about how like how uniquely bad America is for like disability justice. <laughs> Just like the way the country is set up, not even just the capitalism of like, because you have to work two jobs and fucking 60 hours a week and you know that, but also like the fact that cities are not walkable. What if they were? Not just like for folks like you, because then, you know, if you can't, even if you can't drive, it's still easy to walk around, but also just what if it was just a nicer environment? Everything feels like some weird concrete hell with no sunshine and I hate it. You remember how people used to show these pictures of how ugly Moscow was in the 50s with this awful Soviet brutalism, which really was aesthetically displeasing. Yes. But if you actually look at it, those are very livable buildings with very walkable streets and everything is designed to be close to everything else for the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not so much here. No, you have to have lawns and shit. We have real brutalism where the city is brutal for the people who live in it. Yeah. I mean, hell, I was just, I don't know if you saw my tweet this morning. I got mad about the composting thing. I don't know if you saw that, but 
And I don't know if you saw it either, but there was an article up basically like complaining that Americans bag their uh, leaves and put them in landfills instead of composting them. And I was like, how many Americans own their own homes? Because yeah. if your landlord is picking up the leaves, you can't tell your landlord no. If your landlord tells you to pick up the leaves, you can't tell your landlord no. If you live somewhere that has an HOA and you're going to get fucking fined, or someone's your neighbors are going to snitch and call the city and you're going to get a fucking fine, guess what that leads to? Bags yeah. of leaves. I would love it if we had more accessible composting, but we don't. And instead of addressing why we don't have uh, more access to composting and why it's not easier to compost, we're whining about, well, it's your fault for using a plastic no. bag. Like, no. No. stop it. Leaving, leaving out the whole animal rights argument for a moment. We have the technology to completely feed all of our cities within the cities themselves with vertical farming. Yes. And the only thing stopping it is zoning laws. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Now, you can make an argument about why that would be bad for animals, why it would be bad for people who work there. You can make all sorts of arguments about whether or not that would be good. But let us be honest about the fact that we have the technology for our cities to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we absolutely do, and we don't use it. And I think that um, does create that sort of a certain, like, uncertainty and um, not, I, I guess just generally speaking, uncertainty. Because it seems to me that a lot of Americans these days don't know where their shit comes from, right? Mm, like, yeah. where their food comes from, where their clothes come from. Like, because I've, I don't know if you've been seeing the fast fashion threads lately, I've been watching people just like completely shocked at those. They didn't know like that's how their clothes were being produced, you know. But um, I, I feel like uh, Americans are intentionally kept in the dark about those sort of things because then we would be able to advocate not only for ourselves but like for the global community, you know. And you know the Every cool game about like if I may add like what what you two were just talking about right there, ending right on what Phoenix Kalita said, right? Because like Phoenix and I were forty, we're aging up. This had to be said to us. And now as we say this, we hope someone that's 20 tunes in and hears this. When we know that like a hundred years ago, someone came up. I don't even know how long ago. Don't put a number on it. I don't know. But someone came up with the phraseology. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. <laughs> yes. And we have to keep reiterating this information over and over again. Mm -hmm. So not only is like that's why people hate the left because we have the memory and we never forget anything and, and we keep teaching it, but and, we're annoyed that we have to keep doing it. Yeah. And the, the two the two most iconic teams in baseball, in my opinion, are the Yankees and the Dodgers. And the name Dodgers comes from the fact that the city of Brooklyn was once both walkable and had some of the best public transportation in the world, independent from New York. They were the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers. And they were named from pedestrians who walked to work but had to dodge the trolley for the because there were also people who could take the trolley to Manhattan. Hmm. Oh, that's a fun little tidbit of history. So, the name of the the name of the Los <clears throat> Angeles Dodgers comes from the fact that Brooklyn was once a walkable city with public transportation. Huh. And now here we are. Jeez, and I, I don't even know, is, is Brooklyn even still that? I don't know. Well, Brooklyn has great 
public transportation on the standard of the United States as a whole, like New York City as a whole has better public transportation than the rest of the country? But is it on scale with what public transportation was like in the UK before the British started privatizing it? Hell no. Is it even on par with what public transportation is like in the UK now, even semi-privatized? Hell no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Anytime someone asks what the like what public transit is like in New York, all I can't I can't stop it. All I think of are all the pictures of like when the tunnels flooded. <laughs> Great. Yes. It's fucking great here. We love yeah. it. No, yeah, it's gonna be fantastic. Wait till that Thwaites Glacier falls into the ocean. Ugh. Oh, it's gonna be pretty good when sea level rise goes up a couple more feet. And, and and let's face it, the subway has just become and this is my last, we really should stop. We've gone on. But <laughs> but the subway has become a symbol of this fake tough on crime Nazism. Yes. Oh my where, god, all the fucking where New York. People cops. not wanting to pay for their subway fare is more serious than people actually getting shot. Mm -hmm. Because let's face it, while everybody loves to use black-on-black -black crime as a trope, none of the actual policing in black neighborhoods is designed in any way to do anything about that actual black-on-black -black crime. Broken windows model, you say. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> And I think, and that should be it. I will reach up and pray. <laughs> or actually, I think uh, I'm not very professional about this. I should do the part where um, you uh, mention where folks are like, what, where do they go and what words do they type in to find where they I, can hear more of you? I am on uh, Twitter at Eclectic Radical and at The Eclectic Rad. I am on Patreon, Eclectic Radical. And YouTube, Eclectic Radical. It's pretty simple. <laughs> Try to make it make the branding fairly straightforward, even if I don't really have a brand. Right, yeah, that's me. Like, I, I find myself, I'd be wanting to say, like, I'm left. I, I tend to now say I'm left-leaning or ideologically homeless, and I'm not really loyal to any audience. I'm, I'm anti-capitalist. Yeah. And I am consistent in my anti-capitalism. I am anti-Nazi, and I am consistent in my anti-Nazism. If you're those two things, we're on the same side. Yeah. If you say you're one, but you're not the other, we might be able to work together. But if I think you're lying, I'm not going to trust you. See, this, this is when leftists grow up and they're like, no, no more of the bullshit. As they say on Twitter, no more playing in my face. <laughs> Don't be playing. Yeah, you say you're an anti-capitalist, but when I find you playing in my face, mm -hmm. it's over. You've chosen. Like, <laughs> I mean, let's just talk about the fact that everybody making more. Well, no, this is a show unto itself. One day there's a show unto itself that everybody making more money than us on the Internet is already rich. Oh, yeah, that's fun. I love mm. that one. Yeah. Darn it. This time, now, I'm actually going to press stop. <laughs> Audio. <laughs> that, is actually, that is actually worthy of a show in itself, and that's something to, to think about for an actual future topic. Yeah. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier about extra help to manage your health. 
Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.